you can rebuild a motor, reboot your computer, even kickstart the old scooter. But what do you do when your own mojo is mutilated? That's where we step in. Welcome. I got my mojo. To the Mojo Radio Show. But it just won't work on you. Thanks, AP, and hi everybody. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for hitting the download button. If you if you are new to the show, what do we do here? Well, we just find interesting people that we think have their mojo working in some area of their world. We talk to them, we take their best ideas, we share them with you to hopefully get your mojo working in and out of work. I currently sit here fully caffeinated, fired up. I'm all fired up a Mountain Dew chip. Uh, I've got my Buddha brew, which is divination through caffeination. I have the karma from the Dalai Lama. <laughs> this is our special brew. It's not for sale that we made for Rocktober. And I just want to say thank you to a few people who've left a review for us. Phoebe Mack, Henrietta Mai. J.S. Paul. <laughs> the last one we got was Behold Death. <laughs> I had that sort of moment. Uh, who said, just finished listening to the last episode of Rocktober. It was awesome. Keep it up maybe all year long. And look, Robbo, I've still got some bags of Buddha Brew here mm. in the studio. Mm. Uh, I'm thinking the next couple of reviews, we should just ship out the rest of this and be done with it. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's use it up. Absolutely, guys. Get your reviews in because I tell you what, it's a brew you don't want to miss out on. It is a good brew and Mm. we basically have got beans from all the religious capitals of the world. We blend them together. It is surprisingly fantastic. Mm. Uh, I've sent some out the last couple of weeks and I've had a really nice messages from people all over the country saying, hey, thank you, and it does taste good. One guy rang me and said, Mate, uh, can we buy this stuff? I was like, oh, not yet. Uh, <laughs> Just ask Pete. Go to, go to iTunes, search The Mojo Radio Show. You'll see us there. Click on Ratings Review, leave us one line, and then get in contact with us through the website. Let us know your address and whether you'd like beans or ground. And the Buddha Brew, our spiritual full-bodied blend, is on route. There you go. All Absolutely. Right. Now, while they're giving us a pat on the back, I'm going to give us a pat on the back because last week's show was awesome. I, I loved a- talking to Amy. Yeah, it was it was very invigorating. It was fresh, and it's a girl who's just chasing her dreams, living a healthy life, and uh, it tied together a lot of the trends that we've been following on the show. So I had people just take a step back to think about designing, particularly this time of the year. If you could design the perfect world, are you living it? And what would need to change for you to have utopia? For you, your partner, and or your family, what would it be? She's, uh, she's got it going on. Yeah, and you don't have to go to the extremes that she's gone to, but, you know, maybe there's a few things in your life you could do with getting rid of. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down, you noisy, screaming sling. Now, you were on tour not long ago in New Zealand. Back in July. The home of the All Blacks. Mm. And you were coaching your young fella's footy team mm. and you met somebody. Well, I wasn't coaching bar. at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell us about this chat with this uh, young lady in a bar in New Zealand. We were in Auckland. Um, we were about six days into the tour. The kids were with their billets and the mums and dads who were on tour with the kids had the night off. So we obviously dropped into the local pub and had a couple of drinks and while we were standing outside in what passes for a beer garden in Auckland in walked three young ladies in uh, all dressed in onesies there was a, a unicorn a tiger and from memory a donkey 
<laughs> but anyway, I was intrigued, and after the um, after the bartender had pulled his "why the long face" joke, I um, <laughs> I I was having a chat to the unicorn, and it turned out that Miss Unicorn was actually a Canadian national who loved rugby so much she packed up her life, moved to Auckland to play in the Auckland Women's Rugby Comp. And the reason they were out that night was that they'd actually just won the competition. They were out in their medals in their onesies, having a good old time. Now. The story in itself, her packing up her life and moving to Auckland, was enough for me to go, wow, we've got to talk to her on the Mojo Radio Show. What an inspiring story. It gets better. It turns out that our guest today is also a member of the Canadian women's rugby team. So it's with great pleasure that we welcome Andrea Burke to the Mojo Radio Show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, fill us in on the story. You were playing rugby in Canada and made the decision to move to New Zealand. Why was that? So I was playing rugby in our club season, in our club league, and my goals are to compete at the 2017 World Cup in Ireland. Our team was out of the fi- out of the club season early. We didn't make playoffs, and I just thought, you know, I have more to do and more to prepare, and where can I go to play good rugby? And, of course, it's in the Southern Hemisphere, so... Our coach, our head coach at the club, he said, you should go down and intern with my daughter for two weeks. And she works with the Warriors. And I thought, you know, that's a great idea. But two weeks isn't nearly enough to get a full on rugby experience. So uh, a week later, I hopped on a plane, moved down to Auckland for about eight weeks, played in the club season there, played rugby. And then I also joined a league team with my friend Bridie and was able to be on a rugby field, whether it was union or league, seven days a week. It was phenomenal. So you've you've represented Canada, Andrea, at the 2014 Women's Rugby World Cup. So you've I got did, yes. you've got a really good resume thus far, and we know that you're about to go to training because you're training pretty hard at the moment. Where did this where did this interest in rugby come from? Because women's rugby, I mean, we'll talk about Rio in a second, but really, it's hit the radar worldwide because of the Rio Olympics, obviously. But where did your interest start in rugby? Like, why why women's rugby? So I was exposed to women's rugby in when I was 15 years old in high school. My brother played for the three years before I started, and I just remember watching the guys play and thinking, sweet, I can do that. And not only can <laughs> I do that, I want to do that. Um and women's rugby was just, just, just getting started at the high school level. And women's club teams were popping up in Vancouver, British Columbia, where I'm from. And it was it was an exciting time. And what I think is so cool to have been involved with rugby at the time that I was is that we have seen this surge where women's rugby is essentially non-existent on a national or a global stage. And then we've seen some pretty significant tipping points. The women's 2014 15s world cup, for example, was hosted in Paris. France did a great job of, of, of hosting us and of broadcasting it. And word has it like in Canada and the same for France is that they had in Canada, we had over 500,000, viewers tuning into rugby, um, which was the most amount of viewers that have ever watched rugby on on mainstream television uh, for whether it's the men's or the women's national team. And then what I heard in France is that they had over 5 million people tuning in to watch their their home team play. And so all of a sudden, we're getting a whole ton of traction of this magnetism of women's rugby. And not only 
are the top nations, you know, players playing. We saw that in Rio. We saw we saw, we saw that at the last two World Cups, both 15s and 7s. But now these young women are starting to go do it. I did, saying, that is cool. I want to be like them. I can do that. So we're starting to see, especially in Canada, rugby being exposed to young women at earlier and earlier ages. As a Canadian girl growing up, you saw your brother do it and you went, man, that's sweet. That's what I want to do. Did you, at that time have a dream of where that could take you? I can't say that I did. I was really big into soccer at the time and I was actually representing my province for soccer and had been identified by the national program and ended up going to university on a soccer scholarship. And rugby was just something that I always loved and it was I had also played provincially, um, played for my province in both rugby and soccer and but soccer was my focus when I went to university and it just wasn't living up to what it was always what I had always known, but there was something that I wasn't loving about it anymore. And I started to train with the rugby girls. And I just, again, there's something about the culture. There's something about the camaraderie. I mean, you and I meeting in a bar <laughs> over the game of rugby, good laughs. like we could get each other. Right. That's right. So there was, there was something there that it was like, you know what? Rugby's awesome. Uh, what I say to young to young girls and what I often say when people say why rugby and I think it's a place in the world where you get to be as big and as strong and as powerful as you possibly can be and you're actually encouraged to do that whereas I think sometimes as women we get messages that you know we should be otherwise or we should tone it down a little bit so uh yeah it's rugby is pretty special and it certainly has called called to my heart so I'm yeah. not going to quit anytime soon. Can I just camp there for a second? It's interesting. Robbo and I, in the really early stages of our show, Andrew, we, we spoke to a lady called Carolyn Adams Miller on resilience and grit and what it is and how, in a lot of cases, it's lacking in society, particularly with us bringing up children. We only had her back on the show just recently on this topic again, and we delved pretty deeply into it. And Robbo and I just both love the show. Carolyn's, you know, one of our mates. She's, she's fantastic. I'm curious, having read through your stuff and having had success at the Rugby World Cup in the women's team, has rugby had an influence on you personally and in helping build your own resilience and grit? And you just use the word strength or powerful for what girls could look to rugby for. Has it had a has the sport had an actual impact on you personally? In, like on and off the field, like in work, your business, your speaking and so on? 100%. Rugby has definitely impacted me around resilience and grit, both on and off the field. Uh, you know, every day in sport, we learn these lessons, right? So the first five calls a play. And the play is to run a 2-3 switch. And instead of running the 2-3 switch, somebody drops the ball. Or all of a sudden, the backfield opens up and we decide to kick. Well, in that moment, that play isn't on anymore. And we need to, um, we need to readjust to what is what is actually in front of us, whether it's a drop ball, you know, or whether it's an interception or something. And I notice when we, you know, when we make mistakes on the field and we get down on ourselves, well, life 
and the game just gets a little bit harder. But when we make mistakes on the field and we say, okay, reset, let's go, uh, get the ball back, having that mindset really helps us continue to succeed and win. You know, anybody can win on a good day. Anybody can win when they're feeling good, but it's coming back from behind and winning when, you know, winning when you're not feeling so good that I think really shows the character of the people in the team. Robo, that's gold. There's absolute gold there somewhere. Absolutely. At the, bottom of, at the bottom of that scrummage right there where that drop ball was. I, and I'd reach, no, Andrew, I just reckon that is absolute gold yeah. to mentally say to yourself or verbalise it out loud or for a team to go, okay, it's gone to crap. But to have a trigger like reset, let's go, I actually reckon that is one of the most profound, resilient and grit things because you hear a lot about having to face up and it all goes pear-shaped for all of us either daily or weekly or, it, you know, it happens regularly. But to have that saying in the back of your mind to go, you know, what's gone, it's gone, it's gone to crap. Let's reset, let's mm-hmm. go. That, um, is, that, is that an actual tool, a process that girls go thing? through? It totally is. Um, oh, it's good. It totally is. Some people will use verbal cues. Some people will use physical cues. You know, some of the younger athletes that I work with, they're like, well, I, what I need to do is just shake it off. And then she's so like, okay, well, what does that look like? And they literally like, it looks like Taylor Swift and they mm. shake it out of their hands. And then that helps them refocus. And I have another story about that, but it's also about that dark rugby team across the water well, go, on. Uh, I don't really bring... go on, you can bring it up. Robert, come on. I don't want to bring them up. <laughs> you can tell me the story, Robert. Go and make me a cup of go and get me a cafe and coffee. You go, buddy. Just put, your, put your earmuffs on. It's only the most dominant rugby team in the world, let's be honest. Yeah. Come on. Uh, we are behind all of it, Andrew. We, Robbo and I both respect them and we are fans. Yeah. Except when they're playing the Wallabies. But you know, let's, yeah. that, that's, well, that's... let's be honest, Andrew. You can't love rugby and not love what the All Blacks are yeah. doing, let's be honest. The way they play, their their intensity, their discipline. Yeah. So give us your story. Give us a story. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, you know, the ones that I've come across is Richie McCaw stomping his feet, you know, to, to get himself grounded. And that's his reset button. You know, other people will shake their head. Other people might, um, you know, pull blinders off of them. So it's whatever, whatever it helps the athlete. And I think everything is personal for them um, to have of that physical action, have that cue word that takes their brain out of the place of anxiety and out of the place of like, oh, crap, we're losing into like, all right, focus, refocus, next phase, let's go. Well, that's interesting because we actually spoke, we, this has actually been something that we've been on about on the show for a long time now about centering yourself, p- putting yourself in the moment to be ready for whatever is ahead of you. And we've spoken to um, former Olympians, former Olympic rowers who put their hand in the water to centre themselves in the moment mm. to realise it's just water. We spoke to Nathan Sharp, ex-Wallabies captain recently, and he used to have, what was it, Gary? It was like a hacky sack. Yeah, hacky sack, yeah. Thing that his brother gave yeah. him, that he used to sit in the sheds and just rub it between his hands mm. before the game mm. and just reflect on what was ahead of him. Do you have Do you have a little ritual like that that you do before a game? Or I mean, f- yeah, for, for a mate of mine, when I used to play rugby, he used to grab a handful of dirt and rub it between his hands before we started the warm-up, just to sort of centre himself and put him in the moment. Do you have any little rituals like that? Sure. Um, A couple hours before the game, I like to like calm my nerves 
um, whether that like just like some deep breathing, some imagery, some relaxation exercises uh, when I'm getting closer. And this is this is something more that I'll use for international matches and bigger matches. And we're getting closer to the game. I like to have music that's a little bit more upbeat. Um, and if I can like feel it in my hips and get a little like groove on and nice. have a small dance party in yeah. the if I have a small dance party and I'm able to crack a joke in the <laughs> in the locker room before stepping on the field, then I'm in a good place. You know, I always used to say the last place you want me to be is in my head because it's <laughs> it can get scary in there. Uh, I'm definitely the type of athlete that just wants to play like we're talking about play what's in front of me. No unicorn onesies involved in the dance party. Well, you know, I, that's that's for after. Like yeah, I that's know right. I that's win the celebration and I get to put the dance. onesie on and do the dance party in the unicorn. Um, so that's motivation itself to win a game. Yeah, no, you, you're scaring me now. I can see Robbo going into the uh, the Masters, the old boys rugby in a couple of weeks' time. Hitting the dressing room in a pair of budgie smugglers, putting on Taylor Swift, shake it off, and him there rolling his hips, going, "Okay, Andrea, I got this. I got this. Whoop whoop, I got this." Yeah. Um, can I ask you? Can I ask you a question, Andrea? I've seen you retweeting uh, something that's called hashtag I am undeterred. What What is that? I am undeterred is the name. Um, well, undeterred is the name of a book of my mentor, Rania Anderson, and she works with women in emerging marketplaces. And she, I met her through an incredible program with the International Women's Forum and Ernst and Young throughout the Women's Athlete Business Network. So I've been paired with her to, to work with her over the year. And she's been a great mentor and great guidance for me as I develop my own business in public speaking. And Undeterred is her book. So she shares some habits and some behaviors for women, um, for I think really anybody, to remain undeterred in the pursuit of their goals. It's a really good campaign. I saw a, a few bits you'd, you'd reposted, and I thought it was just a really, um, a really cool way to sell a message. And on your one-to-one work, your coaching work you're doing, if somebody got onto the telephone or Skype with you, and they felt as though they had lost their mojo. If there was one thing that you would suggest bring to their mind, bring to their consciousness to help them get back on track and to reset, what, what would you say? What, what, what would be the thing you'd recommend? Remember why you love it. Remember what it is you're going for. Like we talk about being undeterred and, um, you know, if we, we always face challenges. Um, and the challenges will seem much less threatening if we're if we're staying focused on what we love to do and why why we love doing it is the big why right that piece on purpose. So I think that's that'll help them get their mojo back. You've just come back from Rio. You're in the commentary team, uh, and you watched the whole competition in Rio. Was there a moment either on the rugby field, off the rugby field, or on another playing field or the pool? Is there a moment from Rio where somebody dug in, showed true resilience, showed true grit that will stay with you forever? Like something you took away that had an impact on you emotionally or spiritually? Well, I had a keen eye on women's rugby sevens. That was the big part of my job and obviously Mm. a big part of my interest. I thought the Australian women's team were world-class the whole way through. They were undeterred. Um, You know, we had a keen eye on Canada and Canada bombed in the pool play to to Great Britain. I don't think they've had a result like that ever. Um, and you know, the, 
they shook it off. They restarted and they played Great Britain again. It could have been an easy loss for the bronze medal, but I think that was, I know that that was the best game of the tournament. Another group too, Fiji for the women's side, Fiji for the men's side, bringing home a gold medal. That was Mm, incredible and inspiring. And I have to give props to the Japanese men's sevens team. Holy smokes, where did they come from? That's right. They were incredible, making it into the semis. Japanese rugby in general is just doing so well at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they'll be the team to watch yeah. in twenty in 2019 for the next 15s World Cup and still gutted that they didn't make that they didn't make it into the quarterfinals after beating South Africa. Like that was that was yeah. awesome. We're starting to see on Facebook World Rugby posting more of those highlights from the last yeah. World Cup and yeah. Japan is on fire. It's so good. In your corporate work, Andrea, you use the word you fuse sort of sport into the corporate world. In your mind with the stuff you're seeing, say, in Rio, the stuff that you are seeing on the field with your teammates um, in the World Cup playing in New Zealand, what's what's like an, an unspoken glue, the things that aren't really ever talked about that you've noticed that just make a great team, whether it be Fiji men or the Japanese team or the Australian women's team that won the gold? Is there, a, is there something in the back of your mind that you think is not really spoken of often? But it is that essential little something-something that gives the team that extra kick along? Yeah, it's when teams and people on these teams show emotion and really true human emotion. And that can be um, being elated and happy and joyful in wins. But more importantly, when they're just, you know, if like people get angry with each other but don't hold grudges uh, or angry with themselves and are able to forgive them, you know, and able to forgive that. Uh, Being really sad, really gutted, you know, putting, being really honest and sharing those parts of ourselves with each other uh, is very vulnerable. We don't talk about feelings very often. Uh, But when, but we're humans, we're creatures of compassion. When we go there, I think we can go so much further with each other. Like the studies show it's proven that people go further for people they trust. And when you trust people, you're more likely to show your true colors, um, to get angry with somebody, to cry in front of them, you know, to really share tears of joy with them. So that's what I would encourage is those, yeah, those safe spaces, encourage a place of trust where people can have those raw human emotions. I think it'll take us further. That's gold. Really nice. What's, what's next for Andrea? Like you, you've got to get, you got to leave us now and go to training. You are training pretty hard, pretty much every day. What's uh, what's on the radar for you coming up? Well, I can't wait to have an opportunity to represent Canada again at the at our next international matches and vie for a spot on the 2017 World Cup team. Uh, our next closest competition is we have a UK tour and we will see England, Ireland and the Black Ferns from New Zealand there and then continue training and hopefully have some good results there. And then my hope is to make it back to New Zealand for the next women's season. When you are in the dressing room and you're going up against a team like the Black Ferns and they carry that cachet of being out of New Zealand and New Zealand rugby being a religion over there, Mm -hmm. do you carry fear onto the field? Do you ever go for a point where that voice in the back of your mind goes, poor man, we got to bring it today, these guys are good? I think fear and self-doubt are almost always present um before 
before big games, before, you know, I think, I think it's there and it's what we, what we do with it that makes a difference. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, I can listen to that voice and I can be like, oh, and then give, give the opposition all like all the respect and then some, but you know, to the point that I don't respect my skills anymore, or I can be like, cool, great. I hear you. Yeah. They are going to be a good team. They're calling me out. They're asking me to be my friggin' best right now. And that's the occasion that I'm going to rise to. I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give them more credit than they deserve. I think they need to earn it and they need to earn it on the day. I'm going to, I'm going to get a bit of advice off you now. Because I, yeah. we, when, when we met I you on tour, I, we were looking at, do you? Okay, you can charge me for this. This is fine. Because <laughs> I really need some help with this. I've, 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 <laughs> I've coached this kid now for eight years, seven years, eight years. Okay. And I have this kid called James Squartus. G'day, Squirter, if you're listening. Hmm. I can't play him. I can't start him in big games because he's on the sideline vomiting. He's that, ner- yeah, just from nerves, pure mm-hmm. nerves for, mm-hmm. before big games. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know if you have any techniques that I could teach him or, you know, our listeners could use, you know, okay, they're not going to be mm-hmm. on sideline vomiting, but, you know, nervous before a big speech, nervous before something like that. Any techniques that they could use to calm those nerves and to put those thoughts how out do, of their head? Yeah. My, well, my first question is how does he put, when he do get him on the field, how does he play? He's, he's, well, he plays reps. He's played state reps. He's, a, he's an excellent player. Yeah. So um, and, and he like plays on the and he plays so, on the so wing. He, so he vomits he, and then you put him on the field. I can't and start him. It. I can't start him. I had to trick him once. I had to go, oh mate, you know, we'll start you, you know, five minutes in, ten minutes in, we'll swap you out. But but I just had, just as they were running on, I called the guy who was he was actually supposed to be on for him off. So he ran out. They all ran out, shook hands. And the guy that he was supposed to be replacing, I called him off and left James out there and tricked him into playing. So I, that mental trick worked, but I can only do that once because then he was onto it. Because <laughs> then it's gonna that's right destroy the trust. So yeah, you. so it looks gonna it, be like what are you? Yeah, what are you so, doing? So yeah, I, I'm um, not asking <laughs> just in a rugby centric point, and I'm not asking just about this kid. But I figured that whatever tips and tools or techniques you might have that you might use our listeners can use for nerves before standing up in front of a wedding or something you know I think that he needs to know that it's okay to make a mistake um and in rugby we have 80 minutes to make mistakes and bounce back from them and something that really helped me along my path and this was from a sports psych in Canada Dr. Bruce Pinnell and he's told me this is a pivotal moment for me it was he told me that good athletes and great athletes all make the same amount of mistakes the difference between the two is that the great athletes are able to put their mistakes behind them mm, more gold Gary Andrew I've just got one final question before you go to training because I, I have, have absolutely loved hearing you talk about women's rugby, the team, your approach philosophically. We, another topic we have been on uh, probably the last six months or so with different people is around discipline. And it seems that there is a lack of discipline in a lot of areas of health and family relationships. Not so much at work. We're disciplined at work, but it's away from work. We lack this discipline. To do what you do with the level that you do it at, you must have a great degree of discipline and your team to win at the level when it must have a great discipline. Tell me your view on discipline. How do you bring it into Andrea's world? Um, well, yes, I think that we're incre- incredibly disciplined. Um, most national athletes are, and balance is a big part of that as well. Um, where it becomes easy is knowing why I'm doing it. 
where it was difficult is when I was just disciplined because I was disciplined to be disciplined. And that's when my wheels started to fall off. Um, you know, and that's when I couldn't cram anything more into my schedule and there's no room for error. And when, you know, I started to, to tap into why and the purpose behind it, well, all of a sudden it, you know, didn't care if I was tired because I want to win, I wanted to win a world cup. So damn straight, I'm going to get myself to the gym. You know, I want to win a World Cup, so of course I don't care how tired I am. I'm going to make the next tackle. Um, it, it, life and your decisions in pursuit of your goals become a lot more uh, easier to accomplish when you're tapped. You're, when you're tapped into the reasons why. And I always tell people that it needs to be those reasons why need to be like so good. They need to be so good they they want to make you cry. Or that as soon as you say I want to do this in my life, the second voice comes up almost immediately and says, you can't do that and t- completely challenges it. Cause that's when you know that you have a good reason behind what you're doing. Uh, you just, you Michael Phelps, you've just got wall to wall gold. You've just got back to back gold. You come out of the pool. You've, you've gone the, you've gone the warm down. You've gone back in, got a massage back in the pool. You just want another one. You just kick, you just, you're just kicking goal after goal. Well, that Andrew, that is, uh, that is very, <laughs> she's not playing soccer um, anymore, mate. Come on. <laughs> no, Why do you kick goals? Are you? Have a shot? <laughs> Have a shot? Yeah, I do. Have Can I shot? tell you a quick story? Yeah. So um, the night of the unicorn, we were playing in our in our Auckland final, and it was 0-0 for about mm, 72 minutes. And the other team, Ardmore Maris, puts in, puts in five points. Windy day doesn't convert. And five points, everybody just thinks like, oh, they've got it. No way is College Rifles coming back to win this. Well, there's like two minutes left to play. Our first five put, puts in a grubber into the open field. I pick it up off the bounce, score it in the corner, and then bring it bring it out to the 22, kick for two points. There's like 30 seconds left. Ball goes out of bounds. College Rifles wins the cut for the first time in years. And... We're in the clubhouse afterwards. The men's team had just won a huge, had just won a huge game as well, uh, for some shield or something. And their captain is speaking, and he goes, and nobody really knows who I am at the club. And uh, and then, so I'm here. I'm sitting in my unicorn outfit. And their captain is speaking, and he, you know, he thanks his team, he thanks the other team, and he thanks the women's team for such a great game. And he says, "Who is that kicker? Um, you know, whoever that whoever that 13 is, like, like who is she? She can kick a mean goal." And then the joke at our table is, "Well, she's a unicorn." <laughs> <laughs> As if she doesn't even exist, right? It was awesome. <laughs> There you go. The joys of being a unicorn. The joys of being a unicorn. It was so much fun. <laughs> it's a great name too. I mean, it brings up so many great images. It's just a, it's a cool story. Well, um, Andrea, it has been our pleasure having you on the show. We uh, we hope we can follow your journey through to 2017 to see what you're up to. We'd love I'm to keep sure in touch be, and, yeah. uh, and hear more from the dressing room for uh, for you and the Canadian um, women's rugby team. It's been a real joy having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. The Mojo Radio Show. That was great. 
I mean, I'm really impressed with that girl. That there is some great stuff in that. Yeah, definitely a lot of gold in there. I'm a big fan. I, I just, I'm a fan. I honestly believe he's yeah. a fan. And speaking of which, um, folks, we are going to turn back the hands of time. Robbo and I used to work in radio in the halcyon days of the M's. We're going back quite a ways now, but we had a young fella who used to work with us and around us, and his name was Michael Adams. We knew him as Gomez. We got in touch with Gomez because he has started a new career and it's amazing. And he is going to be the feature of this week's segment called Getting After It. Okay, roll it. At the Mojo Radio Show, we love hearing about people who are chasing their dreams. I have a dream. People who are getting after it. Gotta have soda rocking. Now, Gomez, like me, was an imaging producer at Triple M back uh, good, we're talking a good 20-odd years ago now, uh, and he left the network and ended up doing some uh, record producing for a while and also became a representative for one of the bigger uh, plug-in companies. Now, a plug-in is something that we use when we produce audio. Let's not get stuck into what that is. But he became a, a face for them and did some work for them as well as his producing. He recently, or when I say recently, a few years back, started into the world of photography and has started to um, to make a bit of a living from that. So, um, so Michael Adams, welcome back to my life. <laughs> G'day, mate. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's a lovely evening uh, here in uh, South Florida. Uh, beautiful, exciting things in the air with our new president that nobody wants. Yeah, well, he's not quite in yet, but you're not far away from that, right? No, it's scary enough. Now, uh, now do you remember Bertie? who's sitting across from me here. I do, I do. I had the pleasure of working with him for a few years. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And the nice thing here is the nice the nice tie-in factor here is that we're all as bald as badgers. Oh, wow. Well, it's like, I mean, the, main, the main thing is that we all did this through choice. Uh, it wasn't like it was receding. It's like we all decided we'd be much <laughs> sexier with it like this. That's right. Hey, mate, when somebody says to you today... What do you do? So you're having a beer at the bar and someone says, mate, what do you do? What do you say to them now? Uh, I say I'm a fine art photographer because uh, it, it, that's basically what I am. It's like I, I, have a, uh, I have a foot in the music industry still, but um, uh, I'm a big believer in if you've got a goal and you want to go somewhere and you really, you're really pushing on that goal down to having like plates on the wall that you've got dates and deadlines on, you better start actually accepting that profile of yourself even before you think you're actually, you've, you've earned it. So I think it got to about a year ago that I actually decided, okay, I've, I've finally earned that now. So I say I'm a fine art photographer and it usually creates a hell of a conversation because nobody has a clue what it is. So how did that just tell me tell me how that transition happened so you're working doing a similar gig to Robbo uh, sound engineer working with bands and commercially did you then discover photography? Did you always have a liking for photography? Were you always a photographer? It's 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 actually uh it goes a bit further than that. So I went from I went from radio to um, I had a number one with a music act that I created with a business partner of mine up in Cairns, North Queensland, called Shakaya, uh, back in 2000. And when I hit the States, um, I pushed to break into the music industry, and I, I, I spent a year working with Scott Staff and Creed, spent another year working with Yanni, and then a bunch of other acts uh, from 
Lenny Kravitz through to Shakira. And um, and then I started doing a gig with Waves, um, as uh, which is a plug-in company that makes plugins for music industry and radio production, movie production, and um, uh, through that juggled the music industry and being a product specialist for Waves. And then in 2011, I picked up a camera for the first time because um, I because I needed to go to the UK to uh, take some pictures for my father who was on his deathbed, but I'd never actually picked up a camera before then. It's like the the the, the most expensive camera I'd had before 2011 was maybe uh, a Sony CyberShot secondhand from like eBay. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Nothing if you want crap pictures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. What did it feel like when you went? You know, actually, I'm, I I dig this. This this is something I could really do. What, what was that moment like? It was a bit of a, a spine tingling moment because the way it happened was I suddenly realized that the process of making a shot work and have people literally look at it and see what you saw when you took it is no different to music production and writing a song. It's like I spent a year with Scott Stapp writing songs for his solo album and then you produce, you, you record them, then you mix them and then you print them off. It's exactly the same with photography. It's like you've actually got to spend more time composing a shot before you even click the shutter on the camera because if you don't have a story, then nobody's going to want to look at it um, or it's going to be like a Britney Spears song and be dead within two weeks. So it, it, once I'd actually realized that the similarities were mind-bogglingly spooky, um, it went a lot quicker for me. Um, but it was when I, I got asked if I would sell a print of a shot I took at a big waterfall on Mount St. Helens that I realised, there could be something in this. Fine art photography, is that a thing or is that something you've created? No, it's definitely a thing. It's like my, one of my biggest competitors here is another Australian. He's got, he's a few galleries ahead of me. I've got one gallery and he's uh, currently got uh, 25. His name's Peter Lick. Um, he's a Melbourne boy, but we do virtually exactly the same thing to the point that we actually compete in some ways with different shots that he's got from the same place. Um, it's, it's, I mean, fine art photography is basically photography that is presented in such a way that it, it's just wows the mind and wows the eyes and is big enough that literally even the size mixed in with how well you've actually taken the shot is it's a, it's a wow item. Um, so it, it got kind of put in fine art probably about uh, ten years ago. It's now a fine it's now a fine art product. We'll um we'll put a link to your website in the show notes. But mate, your stuff is just it's it's beautiful. Uh, how do you see a shot? What what goes through your mind when you go? I mean, how many shots do you have to take to find a shot that you love? But number two, what's that thing in, that you go through in your mind to go? Yeah, that's a good shot. Um, a lot of it has nothing to do with me and all to do with the weather, the light, the everything else. There's a shot I got from an area called, a landmark called Scripps Pier in San Diego. Um, and getting that shot that is one of my best sellers, I, I booked myself into a cheap, crappy hotel. Um, and I spent two and a half weeks there going back every single night, looking out, looking through the viewfinder, looking through the camera and, and seeing if there was something there. And 90% of the time I didn't even click the shutter. I just went, oh, no, it's crap tonight and go home. Um, until the one night I just, it's like when you, oh, I'll, I'll wrap back to radio days, when Steve Britton voiced that one line that made you tingle down your spine or, you know, it's it's like that one sound effect from kilohertz or something that just made you go, oh, God, that's going to work so well. 
It's the same tingle down your spine when you look through the viewfinder and you think, oh, my God, that's fair. Click, click, done. Um, and then, like a song, you, you, you basically don't look at it intentionally, don't look at it for at least a week or two because that way it lets your mind basically get to a point where the next time you look at it, you're going to have a fresh and unbiased opinion so that you can decide whether you actually want to move forward with it or not. It takes time. It's like music. It takes time. Is that part of your creative process is to shoot something, put it aside, and then go back to it? Because that that actually is part of the creative process in terms of, you know, it, it, most creators would either write something, develop something, draw something, walk away from it, and then come back and give it a second look. Do you actually have that as a part of your process? Yes. Um, I released a print... Uh, two weeks ago, um, and it's a it's a shot that I actually shot in the Valley of State, uh, the Valley of Fire State Park in 2013. Um, I didn't actually even bother looking at the folder of shots until probably about six months ago. Because it's like again, it's like music or like radio production or like a promo. It's like you go through this phase of. You look at all these things and all these messages from the media coming and hitting you and you suddenly, whether you like it or not, you get influenced by everything else that's out there that's pounding into your brain from, from advertising. So I think putting things aside and going back to them creatively later actually helps you as an artist of any kind, create a better process and create a better product because it means that you have less chance of being influenced by other things going on at the time that you might have actually made that shot or made that voiceover script or, you know, written that song line. It's like because you're not being influenced by the same things that you were at the time. Um, a really, qu- a really quick sidetrack. I wrote a song about uh, six six months into the the uh, process with Scott Stapp, and two days later we started mixing it. And then somebody walks into the studio and they go, "Mate, that sounds like the Nickelback track that's on the radio right now." It's like bugger. So I got influenced. <laughs> yeah, let's face it, who wants to sound like Nickelback, right? Who wants to sound like Nickelback? <laughs> Mate, is there a? Uh, you mentioned your dad at the start of this little interview. Was there a shot? in your early days that you took around that time with your dad that emotionally means a lot to you? Yes, it's on my wall. Um, It's the last shot um, anybody took of him sitting in his favourite chair, kind of like staring off into the sky. And it's the first shot that I actually spent a lot of time editing to get right so that because one of the things with photography is what your eye sees and what the camera sees are two completely different things. And it's something I learned very, very early on, thank God. Um, but if you want somebody to see what you physically saw, there's some editing involved to make sure that the dynamics and the light and shade are all right. Um, and, yeah, I, it's this one shot. I have it on my wall. I love it. Um, and it just goes to show that, you know, the same as with music, it's like it doesn't matter what equipment you've got. You can make a number one record with anything. You can have a best-selling print with anything as long as it's composed right and it's dealt with right. There are people listening who would admire really? your backstory, would <laughs> admire admire what you're doing, and they would like to either have their own side hustle or they want to have a passion that you have discovered to pursue. Having now been through this journey of the last couple of years and gone from one successful career transitioning into a new successful career, 
What advice would you give somebody who is sitting on the fence? You're never ready. Um, the first thing you have to understand about anything like this is you're never going to be ready. So if you wait until you think you're ready, you, you better you better be prepared to wait for a very, very long time. Um, I sat on a plane with a dude about four years ago and there was a joke. It's like, especially when I was in the heart of all the travel I was doing for waves plugins, um, there was a joke that, you know, you, if you, know, when you travel a lot, you always get upgraded to first class and you always meet the best people in first class because the people in economy are crap, even though most of us were in economy. And I sat next to this dude on a plane in seat one, a, and he was in seat one B. And he said, what are you doing? And I explained, well, I've got this side thing I've done then and I'm uh, with photography and I've got this other business, et cetera, et cetera, that I work for. And, you know, I, I help people make their sound, their music sound better. Um, and he said, the first thing is you've got to work out that your vision has to be on the wall every time. And he told me about how he used to use paper plates, picnic plates. Um, and put magic marker stuff on them. So I blue tack them to the wall now in my office. Um, and the second thing he says, he says, you need to outsource as much as you possibly can. So um, I learned a lot from him. Turns out uh, he wrote a really good book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Um, no. And yeah, that's him. That's him. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it was good advice. And then I read his book a couple of times, and then he sent me The 4-Hour Chef and The 4-Hour Workout, and it's like no we way. still keep in contact. So yeah, tell, me right. in contact. tell me about the paper plate thing. You've got my mind intrigued now. How, how does that work? It's really simple. It's like, it's, I mean, what, mate, Robbo, when I started in radio, I got my first job at 4BK as a coffee boy. And then um, one of my best mates still to this day, Troy Hazard, gave me my first full-time job as a cart boy. And um, that was in 1988. And um, even back then, it's like I was putting dates on goals. It's like I wanted to be... Uh, a commercial producer by 1990 and I ended up, you know, ended up succeeding in that and I wanted to be a manager and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, All this does with paper plates is basically you put goals, you take your big goals and you put them into smaller portions. So like take a really big goal and cut it into four points that are smaller achievable ones. You put it on a plate with a rough date that you think is semi-achievable and then you stick it on your wall. So every time you walk into your office, it's there, um, and it's like you, you, you can't get away from them unless you're stupid and pull them down, um, but it's like I only pull them down after they've been ticked for like a year because it's really good as well to be able to walk into your office, see all these paper plates, and see how many of them you've achieved with a big red tick in the middle of it. Um, it helps because at the end of the day, the, what people do today is they think, oh, I'm going to claim my goal on Facebook or Twitter and everybody's going to say, oh, good for you and that's amazing. But it doesn't mean squat because at the end of the day, the only person who can actually help you make that happen is you. And it's always in those hours where nobody else cares. Nobody else is there. It's all got to be you and you've got to actually make sure that you're answerable to your own goals. So firstly, you're never ready. You've got to start when you want to and just go for it and risk it. And secondly, you have to make sure that you are responsible and and answerable to your own goals. Hey, guys, the little cart boy in the back, in in the little room behind the studios is all grown up all of a sudden. He goes all right, (laughs) Uh, doesn't he? He goes all right. He goes well. living, Living in Florida, fine art photographer. Creed, you've done good, mate. Thanks, mate. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's like I, I, I just, my goal in life has always been to continue doing what I love and getting paid for it. And I saw the writing on the wall with 
where I was going with radio. And my brother and I created a business called Fair West, which was successful until we dissolved it. And we moved, that's what moved me to America. And then I broke back into the music industry over here. And I saw the writing on the wall with the music industry. Uh, and photography just kind of happened to be that tingle down the spine at the time. And I love it. It's, it's one of those things that it's a hell of a lot easier than photography and than music in some ways because you don't have to reproduce the song every time. Mm. And so what's on the next paper plate? Uh, the next paper plate we've got, um, um, I, I now employ five full-time staff and three part-time staff. Um, and we've just applied as a company for a venue in Vegas um, in one of three big hotels to put a full-time gallery in Vegas, and we should hear back on that by March. Um, so at that point, then we'll make the next step. Wow, that's big. It's scary as all hell, I'll tell you what, but at the same point, you know, somebody said, are you ready? And I said, no, I'm not even slightly ready. It's like, I don't think I ever will be ready for that. It's one of those things. It's like, you, you can't wait until you're ready. You've just got to go, okay, this is where I want to go. If it doesn't work, then it's a learning experience. If it does work, fantastic. Well, at least you won't die wondering, mate. No, exactly. And that's one of the things that I'm scared to death of. I'm scared to death of the what-ifs in life. I, I, I never want to have a what-if. Um, it just, I mean, it, it, scare, it scares me. It's one of those things that literally scares me. And, and I don't care what anybody else thinks about what I do. It's like what I care about is, you know, what I think about it and how comfortable I am sleeping with the, the thoughts in my head. So um, I think that the day back in my early 20s where I stopped giving a shit what people thought about me and how they liked me or didn't like me was the day that I actually started being a lot happier mm. in life. And for those people who may not be familiar, the guy sitting in 1B that gave the good advice about the paper plates was Tim Ferriss, who was a New York Times bestseller a number of times over and currently He's has the, the biggest and most successful podcast series ever on iTunes. The, the, After the Mojo Radio Show, of course. I was going to say, he's a bit, uh, but Tim's a big fan of the show. Yes, he listens every week, religiously. Monday morning, oh. first thing with his coffee. Shout out to Tim, his Bulletproof Coffee probably. Yes, yeah, shout out to Tim and his... Uh, bulletproof so, um, Coffee sucks. It's horrible stuff. It's like... Oh, the, mate, I mean, don't even start me on Bulletproof Coffee. I just wanted to know what butter in coffee would take. Coffee for me is is an event in the morning. I grind the beans specifically in the right dosage. I go through the whole thing. But co- butter in coffee? No. We'll put all your details in the show notes, mate. But you're, um, for anybody listening, the photography is just spectacular. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff all different styles with landscapes and interiors. It's really worth checking out. So we'll put the, uh, the link through to your website in the show notes, buddy, and um, we'll keep in touch eh, as your journey progresses. Give us a, we're, actually, when you, when you land in Vegas, we'll have, to, uh, we'll have to talk to you from Vegas. I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking positive thoughts. Um, I mean, it's, it's right now my current gallery is like about two miles from Peter Lick's Miami Gallery, which is annoying and good at the same time. Um, in Vegas, it'll put me about 300 feet from the bugger. So uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's, time to, it's time to start competing. Yeah, but, mate, you've got, you, you've got paper plates. Peter's no paper plates. I do have paper. You know what? He's, mate, he's got 20-odd galleries. He's probably got bloody gold plates. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't take ourselves too seriously. I wish I knew how to quit you. The Mojo Radio Show. That's a bit of a blast in the past, isn't it? Yeah, I've been I've kept in contact with Gomez for most of the years since we worked together. But um, over the last... 
two or three years, I've really seen his photographic work develop from something that was not not amateurish, but something that was obviously someone starting out to the stuff that you see now that's just mind-blowing. It's beautiful. We'll put his details in the show notes, folks, if you want to go and check out the work that Michael Gomez Adams is doing. It, uh, it's terrific. And just uh, another young guy is just getting after it. And uh, gee whiz, he's doing well. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. Okay, to close the show, yep. I'm going to Sedgway yep. with a pop quiz, hot shot. Okay, let's go. Name the band. American punk rock band formed in New York in 1974, often mm. cited as the first band to truly define punk rock. Oh, yes. <laughs> they had limited commercial success. The band was a major influence on the 1970s punk movement in both the UK and the United Kingdom. Uh-huh. They performed 2,263 gigs touring virtually nonstop for 22 years. Mm-hmm. Here's probably the give- giveaway. Yeah, it's already given away, but keep going. <laughs> All the band members adopted pseudonyms ending with the surname. Ramon. And can I just say they also feature heavily on Robbo's Bluetooth earphones on a weekly basis. <laughs> Joey, Johnny, DD, and Tommy yeah. were the Ramones. And, folks, when you look back through the archives of some of today's great rock bands, many of them will cite the Ramones. Oh, all of them. They are widely recognised and now mentioned in many assessments when you talk about the all-time great rock bands. And, in fact, they're number 26 in the Rolling Stone magazine list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. Yeah. You know the other sad thing? The other sad thing is there are almost two segments on this show. They're almost a gone but not forgotten as well. Well, they're all dead. Yeah, that's right. Gone but not forgotten. Good. Sedgway. Second thing is... I really enjoyed talking with Andrea Burke from the Canadian women's rugby team. And Mm. one thing that I took out, which Mm. has been echoing in my mind, when things run off the rails, you can't dwell on the past. You have to reset. And I love that that comment she made that when the team, if if someone scored against them, they get behind the try line and they go, reset. Back to the game plan. Let's go. Yeah. And to close the show, we have the Ramones with Hey Ho. It's Blitzkrieg Bob. Let's go. We're out. It's good to be back in England and it's good to see all you again. Take it, dude.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.